Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to The Conspiracy Castle. I am your conspiracy asshole, and we're playing some sad music because the, the theme song that was sent in wouldn't work. So I had this on, on speed dial. I had this backed up. So we're kind of, we're off to a bad start. We're already starting off with a fumble on the kickoff. So we got to, we got to kind of regroup guys, because we have a very special guest. We have a great guy, a guy that just has a new book out beyond esoteric i want to bring him on brad welcome to the conspiracy castle i'm sorry for the somber music but i let myself down with without not having the proper uh song so luckily and my cat's going crazy so you know it's um it's kind of a wild night already uh you know i'm telling you tonight is one of those nights what, what what's going on in the air do you have that kind of feeling like everything feels a little off you know what i mean Hey, Alex, it's great to be on Conspiracy Castle with you. And yeah, these are trying times on many different ways, not just what the cat's up to. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a cat nut. It's, I have toxoplasmosis. When you deal with the fecal matter, there's a parasite. If I'm dealing with the litter box, supposedly, it's called crazy cat lady syndrome. And that's what I have. Sadly, I am, I'm turned into a crazy cat lady, Brad, and I'm, uh, you know, kind of stuck in a rabbit hole trying to get out of it. So now that I'm talking to you and we're talking about the esoteric secret things in life, I don't know if you help my anxiety or if you raise it, but I'm telling you, it's such an honor to have you here. And I, and I, I hope, uh, uh, you know, I can give you a good interview that you are due, uh, Mr. Olson. Oh, thanks so much. And I'm sure you're going to do a great job, Alex. I feel kind of like that Chris Farley sketch, you know? Uh, you remember that? How that was so good when he would do... Did you ever watch Saturday Night Live in the 90s? Oh, it was yeah. Like, you remember when he would do the interviews and he would be like with a Paul McCartney? He'd be like, is this a good interview, Paul McCartney? And he, Paul would be like, oh, it's a great interview, Chris. It's a great interview. That's what I feel like. Okay, but so no, let's start off. Let's start off with... Oh, tell us... a. Uh, tell us what the book is about and a little bit about it because people use that term esoteric give us kind of the dictionary definition of what it is and, and what that title means sure 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 well here it is beyond esoteric escaping prison planet is the third in the series uh, there was first beyond s or uh, modern esoteric and future esoteric i never repeat my material so it's all original uh it is Following on the heels of the this series, which now in the age we're in, uh, is really good that I got it done. It took me six years to finish this one up. Uh, the other two have been out for a couple of years now and had a second edition as well as audiobooks, and they're all available as ebooks as well. But esoteric just means that which is known by a select few, really. Um, it, it is basically information that is sometimes hoarded or uh, really brought into, say, a secret society or the mystery schools would often have esoteric information at their disposal. So now in this age of secrecy and so much with the military and government and all the rest that have been hiding this stuff in this great awakening we have now access to a lot of this information and so this is what i set upon doing with this series of books is collecting codifying and putting together 
this uh, series. And this is a 480 page book. So jam packed full of information, including great uh, illustrations, maps, captions, and quite a bit of content. Hey, tell so, me this. Well, you know, you always hear that term, the mystery schools thrown around. So what, what is the mystery schools? Was that the pay? Was that from the pagan era? What, what is that? Was that, uh, where, where does that fit in the timeline? Is that from before the Bible? Oh yes, it sure is. Okay. All the way back to the ancient Egyptians had their mystery schools and many would be associated with the various gods or goddesses. Uh, for example, if you wanted to be in the Isis mystery school, you would be uh, worshiping the goddess Isis and probably a lot of hot chicks in that one, Alex. I don't know. Maybe that's that, the one I want to be in. I want to, I want to be in a cult with some, that's what I'm saying. Like these guys that start cults, I think it's just to get laid because uh, back in the day, I think they had to make the priests celibate because they were sleeping with everybody's wives. You know, they had to, you know, kind of cut them down. So it's weird how this religion and cult stuff has a sexual uh, orientation. I guess everybody wants to have sex. Is that why you think that is, Brian? It's why we're here, isn't it? I mean, we all are a product of it. I agree, and I like sex. I, I don't think sex is a bad thing. Uh, you know, like, even even today, like, uh, I don't even think teaching kids about sex is necessarily bad, but I think it's like the transgender agenda, and, you know, you know, I mean, they take it too far. There's something where it is smart to give a kid sexual ed in high school, but they're making it now where they're giving, like, fourth graders books on how to express themselves masturbatorially or whatever. You know, it's it's, it's crossing the line. We're going out of bounds in my opinion right now what do you think yeah I, I i certainly feel like everybody should make their own decision about their preferences but um me personally i'm hetero always been that way and always will be that way and it's just well there, i i actually disagree i think we need more drag queen story times at every library <laughs> every public library we need more drag queens reading to children that is how we're going to get out of this mess okay but but explain that so let's go back to these mystery schools and and paganism because there's one thing that uh, a guy that i really like jay dyer and he 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 i've had him on my show and he's a guy that's like you know a big debater and stuff and in in Jeremiah, I think it's like ten. I'm not sure what it is, but it specifically says not to cut down a tree and worship a tree and you know adorn it with golden foil. So does that mean Christmas is satanic, Brad? Is that what that means? And so uh, somebody told me that's not what that means. But is that isn't that kind of some of this beyond esoteric mystery school? How you can turn something and and twist it into something bad? Well, it's also how the word Illuminati became corrupted. Really, it just means the enlightened ones. And when you think of the Illuminati these days, they're doing anything but uh, enlightening type of activities. And uh, this, this is very much a good example of a mystery school or a very much a secret society that uh, rules from behind closed doors. Let's keep in mind that conspiracies happen all the time. You should know that here in the conspiracy castle. Dude, everything's a conspiracy. What are you talking about? I mean, literally, you know, conspiracy theory was created by the CIA during the JFK assassination in order to, I know you know this, in order to demonize people looking into the official story. So it's like, do you think the government is ever going to be like, oh, this is exactly what happened, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. They're never going to do that. They're always going to give us some, it's like this. It's the same reason because you talk about in your book, Beyond Esoteric, uh, being in a prison planet, a government's job, a government's always going to be dysfunctional because what they're trying to do is they're trying to manage people people they're basically trying to put us in a prison but give us as much freedom i guess in that prison the illusion of freedom 
really while being inside of a prison, you know what I mean? Because we still got to pay taxes. We, No matter what, dude, if you're in the system, you're in a prison because you got to pay to play, to participate, to drive my car. I got to have a registration. I got to have an ID. I got to have taxes. So I got to pay to play. You know what I mean? They got me in a financial prison, no doubt. And if you think about it, sometimes people who are in prison actually have more benefits and privileges sometimes than we do on the I, outside. I, I'm in the bond business. A lot of people go to prison. It changes their life, Brad. They go to school. They never got their GED. A lot of young black men graduate. They end up going to get a job. So I'm not saying prison is a good thing, but you're right. It's crazy how some people in prison might have it better than some people outside of it. Free medical. Uh, that, that's Dental. That, yeah. I know a lot of meth heads that went in there with no teeth. You know, their teeth all messed up. Then they come out, and now they can finally chew. They can finally eat, and they've gained 50 pounds, and they're much healthier. So, yes, I mean, we don't want to go and live in a prison, but I'm telling you, what's happening now with these, you know, with the contact tracing is very similar to 9-11 with the Patriot Act. You know, that gave them the warrantless search and seizure of our phone and emails. So I think that's that's the next thing is the Patriot Act 2.0, which is going to be the warrantless search and seizure of our phone, you know, text messages or our phone calls over our $600. If we have a withdrawal at the bank over $600, I mean, that's pretty... Uh, uh, artificial intelligence. I mean, that's like a crime cop or a techno cop. That's too much digital information that they have on us is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And it's only getting worse in this technocratic world that we live in where everything is going digital, including our money and uh, things can be shut off as we know, if you're not towing the line and paying attention. That's why I start out beyond esoteric with neo-fascism section starting with the act of 1871 when the United States became a corporation owned by foreign entities, namely uh, the Rothschild banking cartel, as well as the Jesuits in the Vatican have a controlling interest in the United States corporation. So these, this is why these esoteric subjects are so interesting and important for people to understand because at the root of it, we're being ruled by them. Uh, and unless you know the subjugation that you're under, you're not going to be able to change things. So hopefully by being more attuned with what's going on in the world, people can make better decisions in their lives and, uh, Knowledge is power, Alex. We know that since we are kids. Yeah, and they don't want us to actually know, you know, our existence. I think they want to hide the creator. They want to make us feel insignificant. Just kind of, you know, make us feel like we're, like, you know, they basically like we're unimportant. And I think that's the opposite. I think we are, you know, just the sheer chances of being here, like we were talking about sex earlier. People are anti-sex. I'm pro-sex. You're right. We didn't get here without sex. So we have to be, we have to be pro-sex, guys. You know, we can't be anti-sex, in my opinion. Uh, but, uh, uh so I kind of want to go back to the mystery schools. Could those mystery schools, could those people back then, like, you know, the people that built the pyramids or whatever, you know, could they have known that we're going to have technology and the internet and social media and what's going on now? Would they have no, like, could they have had some sort of idea of what this world is like the matrix basically? I mean, they couldn't have predicted the matrix, did they? Well, I'm no biblical scholar, but yeah. it's interesting that there are a lot of parallels with what, happened in revelations that are coming true today, as well as other parts of the Old Testament that have relevance with now. So how could they have known that thousands of years ago? And on the subject of the pyramids, which has always been a fascination of mine ever since I actually climbed to the top of the Great Pyramid on a full moon in March 1993. 
Wow. How they awesome. built that technology that was employed. Yeah. And put that thing together. You know, the Japanese tried to reproduce and build a great pyramid and they couldn't even do it. A no smaller way. scale replica model and they failed. So there are still so many mysteries in the world that we're trying to Brett, wrap our head around. Do you think Michelangelo was able to paint the Sistine Chapel on his back on a plank of wood? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I, I, the story they tell us, I'm sure maybe a man painted, but he had to have some sort of mystery school. Some, I mean, there's something, they had some sort of knowledge, some sort of trick. I don't know what it was, or maybe they were, like, I like to think, or I don't like to think, I, I think I know this, the Chinese today can't replicate the pyramids. So we're devolving. We're getting less smart as humans. Like we think we're getting so smarter. Oh, we know everything now. No, what they knew then, they were smarter. We're making copies of copies of copies. It's like when you make a copy of a VHS, you try to record something off the TV or whatever. You know, we're just not as good. We're, we're, we're less good as the original. So is do you think that's the case? Like are, are were those people smarter than we are now? Well, when it came to working in stone, Certainly, there are mysteries that they employed that were still playing catch up. For example, uh, I do a talk at conferences about the mysteries in South America, the, the megalithic structures that still cannot be replicated. There is a block in Baalbek, Lebanon, and it is so big that even cranes of this modern age cannot lift it. So obviously, they had some kind of technology to move these stones, to fit them in place so perfectly that in the case of the megalithic blocks in South America, you can't even put a, a piece of paper or credit card or anything in there. These are thousand year old walls that are still perfectly placed. And keep in mind, Peru and uh, the Western part of South America is part of the ring of fire. So they have a lot of earthquakes there and the older structures are still the best preserved, whereas the newer Spanish structures have crumbled in the last earthquake. So, yeah, I think you're right. We are playing catch up in certain departments. But then when you look at technology, the Internet and, and so many things in the modern age that they didn't have in ancient times, we do have certain kind of t technology that is uh, superior to what they had back then. But have you ever heard of the Ankathera device? It was found in the Mediterranean Sea. So it was, it a, was computer? a form of computer. Yeah. yeah. That was highly advanced and could predict the skies and other um it was a sky clock basically yeah wasn't i think didn't some, yeah. isn't somebody i think somebody's trying to recreate one today i believe isn't that or something like that but um listen so how did the freemasonry come out of that because that's what they supposedly you know when you when you think about you know they're the secret society that's causing all these problems i think it's more than just them obviously but i'm saying like how did that how did the you know that knowledge go to freemasonry where these stone people have like uh you know where they're now today in Freemason lodges and killing, pouring cat blood and, and masturbating in coffins, you know, in private parties or whatever. How did it, how did it transition to that? Well, it, the Freemasons are a direct result of the Knights Templar, yeah. which were the first international bankers. And they used a form of technology in the form of a cipher. So if you were going on a crusade, for example, to the Holy Land, you could put on deposit gold in your home country, say France, then get to the Holy Land, open up your cipher and get that deposit. So 
when the free the, the when the knights they Templar were the first came. bankers i mean that's crazy yeah. to think and they're still in charge of the banking today you could argue that so yeah. i mean well but you got to understand that the knights templar found something under the temple mount in jerusalem and it made them fabulously wealthy and very powerful and so kings of europe and the vatican became indebted to the Knights Templar. And that's why they sabotaged the order on Friday the 13th. That's where that date comes from and basically made it illegal. But those Knights Templar, well, they went underground. And then shortly after the Knights Templar order was dissolved, the country of Switzerland was formed, famously neutral all these years in the banking empire of the Western world and so many other things. Then Freemasonry reemerged a few hundred years later and went from their ghost, secret society, and they're in a way a mystery school. And they do many things in Freemasonry that are quite mysterious. Um, but they have a network where the people, they stick together and they work in conjunction. I just can't believe that Friday the 13th, that's, that comes from when they outlawed the Knights Templar. And then now, I mean, there's just two things you're blowing my mind. Because, you know, I've heard about the Knights Templar and, you know, read about it and watched YouTube videos and this and that. But I just didn't realize, like, how significant the, that date was. And just the idea that you the, these are the first person where you're able to take, like, a something, you know, somewhere. And they were able to cash your check. The first check, international check cashing. I mean, that's a pretty big freaking deal. For somebody to trust that their money was good in some other place. You know what I mean? It takes a lot. of You have to have, uh, you know, a strong reputation, to say the least, to be able to be the first person to have that sort of thing. So that means you have a lot of power and respect. And then you see the Freemasonry comes out of it. So is Barack Obama, you know, skull and bones? Like, is he, do you think he's a free? mason are these guys like actually behind the scenes or do you think it's some sort of like jewish mysticism israel involved you know you know 9-11 bilderberg trilateral commission i'm saying like where do you who do you think's really pulling the social engineering strings that are trying to put us in this prison planet in your opinion brian well like uh, george carlin said it's great big club and you're not in it <laughs> neither yeah. am i yeah. all we can do is look from the outside well, Skull and Bones is a famous fraternity in Yale University, and that's where Bush Sr., Bush Jr., John Kerry, and a few others have been a part of. Yeah, that's certainly a mystery school, no doubt about it. They have a, a ritual where they lay in a coffin, and I think they do some really weird stuff like masturbate in front of everybody else, and just, then you become a Bonesman, right? Yeah. And then you're one of them, and you know the secret handshake and all the stuff that comes with it. Now, my grandfather was a very high-ranking Scottish Rite Freemason. And by birthright alone, I could join the order, Alex. I'm not going to. No doubt. Wait, if he was a big, he was in the Scottish Rite, I mean, that's as big a deal as it gets. Was he a 33rd degree Freemason? Uh, he was pretty high up there. He was definitely, he was the head of his lodge in uh, Logan Square in Chicago. Yeah. But here's that the thing. Ah, he wouldn't high. talk about it. He wouldn't talk about it with any of our grandkids and not even with my dad. I've tried to get information from my dad about it. He's like, well, I just don't really know. And my dad didn't join either. So they hold their secrets to the grave. They're pretty good about that. But there's an old saying, usually the only time you keep a secret, a secret is when it's bad. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? That's the only time a secret's usually be able to be kept if it's something bad that I, you know, because if something, you know, not bad, people say a secret, but, you know, a real secret, something bad, or you do something bad, or you're a part of something bad, you might actually want to keep that a secret, even to family members, even to your closest people, because it needs to be, it doesn't need to be reset, because whatever was done doesn't need to be rehashed, um, because that's not a, a good thing. Okay, so, uh, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, so tell me about uh, Antarctica. What is going on in Antarctica, uh, in your opinion, uh, Brad? Yeah, well, I, I had the opportunity to go down there about two and a half years ago. And as far as I know, I was the only researcher who was going down there to really get to the bottom of a lot of these big topics we've heard that might be going on down there from giant craft under the ice to pyramids poking through to uh, the secret government having bases down there, which, which by the way, John Kerry went on election day in 2016 to Antarctica. The he day Trump there. won. The day Trump won. He That's went right. there. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. It really doesn't. It makes and no, it went, makes absolutely no sense unless there's some sort of ceremony or ritualistic thing. I mean, why? And well, what about Hitler's involvement with uh, Antarctica and their, their interest in it? Oh, absolutely. And, and I do cover a lot of Antarctica in the book, including some maps of the Third Reich. That is the uh, new Schwabenland location. And I know where Base 211 was, the new Berlin base. If I were ever to go back, say, with a film crew, that would be the place I'd want to go and see if we can find... I doubt they'd let you go with a film crew ever. You know, what about... There's, yeah. Have you ever seen the video of General Admiral Byrd talking about how there's more resources in Antarctica than anywhere else on, on Earth? Oh, absolutely. Or he said that as much as America, I think is how he described it, I believe, as much resources as America has. And you believe that? You think and, that's... and there is. And there is. Fortunately, the whole continent is preserved under the Antarctica Treaty like a biosphere preserve for the whole world. No single country has dominion over it, although several make claims they're largely unrecognized. But they're trying to get in there to do mining, to do fishing, and to exploit some of those resources, hopefully. Yeah, but don't you think that's a scam? Why is Antarctica Treaty, why do they agree to that? We don't agree to anything. I mean, all the people were, we are in a cahoots with that, we're fighting supposedly in a war right now. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's a good point, Alex. And the Antarctica Treaty is one of the very few global treaties which has hell. Uh, and maybe because the powers that be want to keep it a uh, little... Trash. That's exactly right, Brad. Come on. We know that's the only treaty that's ever not been denied or been, you know, rehashed. I mean, these people want to have a ping match about everything. You don't think they want to have a ping match about Antarctica? And then I just think it like, well, after World War II, this is what I believe. Germany didn't lose. You know, they, they just basically surrendered. And, you know, I believe Hitler probably got away. We know Mengele got away. We know they a lot of them went to South America. Okay. So it's like, like these people, you know, they, they knew... They know what's really going on. They know how to get out of this stuff. So, like, our, our history is a lie. Just that's what I'm saying. It's like when they tell us that, you know, they all agree on it. I'm like, there's something more. I just, it really it makes you question. So, do you think all the governments are together? Obviously, you think there is some sort of uh, global group that really rules the world, in your opinion, Brad? Oh, yes, I do. There is a cabal in this country. They're known as the deep state. Uh, 
200 years ago, it was the Illuminati, but these are the bloodline families. These are the banker families that have really amassed the lion's share of wealth and resources and assets on this planet. It's grotesque when you look at how much is appropriated to this really 1% of 1%. It's, it's such a small class, about 600 individuals own over 60% of all the assets on the planet. And that's probably putting it lightly. In my book, Future Esoteric, I have a study that was done by the, the Swiss. You know the old saying, when you can't make sense of a story, follow the money. And they followed the money and it goes up to these 600 individuals that are have uh, most shares in companies, uh, most assets, most land holdings, part of the central banking dynasty and so forth. So the, the wealthy just keep getting richer and the rest of us are just fighting for the crumbs. No like doubt. Change. Well, I think it's something like less than like 0.1% of the population owns like 99% of the wealth. I mean, maybe that's too simplified, but it is something ridiculous like that. I mean, the system's screwed up and I'm not saying a billionaire shouldn't exist, but I mean, dude, uh, we're giving, we're spending $200 billion for Afghanistan refugees in the United States. And I mean, what, where's all this money coming from? We don't do that. We don't even support our own citizens with that. So, uh, it's just, it doesn't make sense where all this is coming from and how we're, we're funding, you know, the current system that we're in. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's a real system. It seems fake. Well, it is fake. It, it, and money is fake. Yeah. And it's based on this fiat currency model, which is not before it used to be, at least you could take your paper money, which is currency, really not money and exchange it for gold and silver, which is real money. Then Nixon took us off the gold standard in the early 1970s, and it's just been our belief, our faith, that it is a currency that holds value. Why do you think Bitcoin and, and other cryptos have gone up in value so much? Because well, I think that's the future, don't you? I mean, I, I mean I, I'm not huge. A lot of people are really flushing crypto really deep into it. I just think they're going to digitize the currency so they can control it, so they can see exactly yeah. what we're spending. So there probably will be good reason to have some sort of digital currency. I mean, whether we like it or not. What do you think whether about Whether we crypto? like it or not, it's coming, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, if you look at the blockchain technology, it's really brilliant in so much that it can't be hacked as easily um, as, as other forms. Uh, so it can be used for voting. It can be used for a lot of different applications but in the form of money yeah they, they want to digitize it they want to take cash out of our hands and look if all of our assets or currency is on a, a blockchain that has the potential to be manipulated if you're acting out of line alex we're just going to swipe your balance on your bank account and nothing much you can do about it so i'm i'm really um a little concerned that if everything goes electronic that we won't really have hard assets like gold and silver and even cash on hand to uh for things no we're i mean and so what's it very like how long do you think the internet would have to go out brad for people to just start shooting each other in the street i mean facebook went out for one day and it sounded like people were suicidal apparently you know and i thought it was kind of nice it going out personally yeah, it didn't bother me. 
Yeah. Uh, there's an old saying that goes back to the French Revolution, Alex, and that is total chaos on the streets is only eight meals away. Wow. So that's wait, wait. I'd say I learned something, Brad. You teach me new stuff every day. That's what it takes. That that's about right. Eight meals. And so if you think about it, that's like two meals a day if you're stretching it out. You know what I mean? So if what so I mean, if we're stretching it, people are going to go in four days. I mean, through the weekend. I mean, if, if shit shut down, excuse my French, on a Friday, Monday, we'd be toast. We would be. And why do you think McDonald's has 99-cent hamburgers, but apples cost $2? Well, why, why is that, though? Well, but why, well, why is that? Because it's not about dollars and cents. Tell us why that is. Cheap food has been subsidized for that very reason. If people can at least get their bellies filled, even with crappy food, then they're not going to revolt. So when that goes away, when things shut down, even for two or three days, forget about the Facebook blackout. We're going to have real. The hamburger blackout. The hamburger blackout would be bad. I mean, so, so you know, it, it doesn't make sense. I actually stopped eating meat and I feel a lot better. But, you know, I have to buy meat for the cats so and my dog. So I, I'm not like uh, anti, you know, I'm not some like uh, uh, activist, anti-meat activist or anything. I just like it for my digestion. But I'm saying it doesn't make sense. A double cheeseburger is always now. I think it's like a dollar twenty nine, but it was always ninety nine cents. And then an apple at Seven Eleven is like a dollar oh nine. Uh, right. and, and so you're like, how does that work? It is being subsidized. And I remember this one guy told me that he never ate McDonald's because his neighbor sold cows to him and that McDonald's would buy every cow, no matter how sick or disgusting or how messed up. And so that's why he didn't eat McDonald's. So why do they get it? So they want us addicted to, and I eat, and my people always tease me. I love fast food. I'll be honest, Brad. I love French fries, fast food. I mean, I grew up on it. I'm a new world order baby. I mean, they got me, they got me from the start on the formaldehyde French fries or whatever. Uh, but why is that? Why do they get us addicted to it? Like, what do they gain? Is it big pharma gain by making us sick? Like, why is fast food like our cult, like the main American culture is fast food where it's bled over to, you know, fast food culture is an international thing now. Yeah, I call that cheap fast food. I call it sponge. It's like no nutrition value. It just fills your stomach. Hey, nobody ever said that sponge didn't taste good. Yeah. It tastes great, but it's terrible for you, right? And why why do they do that? That's a good question. Why do you see on the new or when you, whenever you watch TV, I don't watch TV, but there's commercials for fast food all the time, but you never see, oh, go have a healthy salad right now or eat some fruits and other veggies. Why is that? Why? It seems that there is a concerted effort to make us unhealthy, that the things that are being pushed on us are not the best for us either. And no. And you th I mean, they haven't told us. We can only say so much because YouTube will give you a medical misinformation strike, but I haven't heard yeah. one person say, hey, go get some sunlight, go exercise, go do anything. Yeah. I mean, that, that's right. not... That gosh, Sky Bear will not shut up. Come here, Sky Bear. I don't know why he's going crazy. Every time I'm doing an interview and I'm giving somebody else my energy, my cat, he's like the number one cat. He goes nuts. But I mean, that's that's just how society is. It's uh, really upside down, especially now. It's like there is no health other than to get, you know, something that comes from Pfizer or Moderna. Uh, that's the only, your health is now in a pill form. And like, that's really what they've done to Americans. Oh, oh but I, I want to touch on this topic though. Because I was talking about earlier, I said that thing, you know, we're copies of, of you know, 
of copies of copies. And I believe those copies were probably Nephilim that came down and and made it. Explain that. I, this is what I'm saying. I, people cut this and people make fun of me. But I feel like I'm a Nephilim because I'm 6'3". I don't have a huge ding dong and i figured the nephilim couldn't have had big wieners because they had to sleep with normal sized humans right so they had to be really big giants but have kind of human sized wieners is that is that am i wrong in that i might be wrong i apologize if i'm wrong but correct me well you're tripping on her own anatomy Alex, okay i'm just- tripping out i i trip out all the time whoa on chaser the all the time we got a donation way to go 99 9/11. Well, we know 9/11 was an inside job. I don't know if you're allowed to say that, but oh, we know that. Okay, okay, but uh, that's what I think. But okay, maybe that's not what you think. But uh, explain that. Tell me about the, what is Nephilim? What are the giants like? How, how did they come down here? Explain that because that's so interesting to me. And again, a lot of this can be found in the Bible. I'm no biblical scholar, mm. but they talk about the giants in those days, the men of renown, who took a fancy in Earth women, as you said. And the, the hybrid was the Nephilim, and they too would have been very tall. Maybe that's where we get uh, some guys are so much bigger than others. Yeah, wait, slow down. So, so, so wait, the Nephilim were the offspring. So the angels slept with hu- the, the, were they casted out? Were these demons? Or who were these people that were, were mating well, with the humans? Well, that's the Anunnaki. And those Anunnaki. are 100% ET DNA. But keep this in mind, Alex. We have 22 DNA species within us, including reptilian. And that's right here in the back of our brain. The fight or flight mechanism is our purely reptilian brain that's making those decisions. And so we are this amalgamation of many different species rolled into one. And a good way to illustrate how humans are actually quite different We like to think we're all in one family, but we are quite different, not only with racial types, eye color, hair color, but also with our blood. And this is when it gets really interesting. And this is called the rhesus monkey or RH blood factor. And there's negative and there's positive. My family is RH negative blood. My grandmother was RH negative. She married a man who was positive. My dad was RH negative. He was fine. But the second born, my uncle Douglas, was RH positive. His blood mixed with my grandmother, and it killed him. Wait, yeah, I've heard this. Wait, yeah, I've heard this. Oh, you can't. It's, how do you die from this RH blood? Say that one more time, though. He did. So this is possible. You've, I've, you hear this myth. That it, so now what, what do they do as a precaution now so that doesn't happen, uh, Brian? Yeah, there's a shot you can take now. It's not much of a danger. Any mother who is RH negative with a positive father uh, won't have this. But back uh, 75, 80 years ago when my uncle Douglas was born, his blood interacted with my grandmother he turned into what they call a blue blood baby. His whole body turned blue. Just like, you know, we have veins in our yeah. blood that are blue, right? Well, his whole body went that way. It was the antibodies that was fighting off the RH negative blood that had contaminated his own, and it killed him five days later. Wow. So why is it? So the RH blood is like a virus or something? What is it? Well, and what's so special about it? Like, how does that bloodline mix? Is that what the, is that what the, like the royal family has some sort of RH bloodline? Right. I mean, expi- I know. Expi- all RH negative. Was, yeah. And I think that's why they wanted to kill Princess Diana. Cause they said if she had dirty fired's baby, 
then it's they, you know, it's a Muslim baby. It's not the RH blood or something. You know, what I mean, it, it's, and they didn't want that mixed with Prince William and Prince Harry's bloodline. It, it messes up their bloodline. But explain why that is significant. Why is RH blood so significant to these people? Not well, to drink it, I hope. No, don't drink blood. <laughs> well, adrenochrome. I'm saying these people yeah, do like uh, do they do say gross. they do weird stuff with blood. I mean, I wouldn't put it past the Marina oh, Abramovich. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But okay, that's not what okay, it's okay. Yeah, so. Yeah. Explain the importance. Sorry to go off left field. So in in my book, uh, Modernist, Eric, I have a chapter called Blood of the Gods. And people are interested in learning more about what we're going to discuss. They can go into that and find out. But RH negative blood type people are quite different from the rest of us. They're more psychic. They sometimes even have an extra rib or vertebrae. And their senses are much more attuned. So most of the psychics of the world are RH negative. And as you pointed out, the royal family, the blue bloods, the bloodline families, they're all RH negative. Here's another one for you, Alex. Almost every human that has been abducted is RH negative. They want that blood for some reason. And, and what's the deal? What's the deal with the abductions? Why is the same? Why is this similar abduction story the same? Do you think that is so? You believe there is an extraterrestrial coming down, or do you think that's uh, some beings are already here on Earth doing the abductions? What is your opinion on that? Well, I don't think we can actually say definitively every single abduction is alien, or every single one is uh, some government program. It's probably a mixture of both, but it's definitely occurring. And I do have a chapter on. Uh, abductions and cattle mutilations in future esoterics. So again, I've written about this and, and have information, but let's face it. There are hundreds of thousands of people who have been abducted. There are thousands of animals that have been mutilated in such a way that laser precision accuracy in coring out the soft tissue of removing all the red blood cells and dropping these carcasses onto say a snowy field with no footprints, just plop, drop dead. And there's and, stories of this happening to cows from a long, long time ago, you know, supposedly, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, hundreds and thousands, I guess, maybe years ago where you, you know, they would have some sort of, all the blood cells would be sucked out of a cow. Explain that. I mean, so how would that work? So it would just well, be some sort of black, would be, the blood would be some different color or something. Well, no, it would just be devoid of blood. Oh, so okay. the animals, when found, would not be a bloody mess. So they've been explained away as satanic rituals. Well, that doesn't make sense when you have precision laser incisions, removing soft tissue, eyeballs, tongues. I do uh, believe in satanic ritualistic abuse, though. I mean, I think you look well, at the performance artist Marina Abramovich. She does a thing called spirit cooking. I mean, that's a weird. That's what they tell us that they do. So we know behind closed doors, they're probably doing even weirder, more esoteric things. I mean, I, I don't know. I really wouldn't put it past the people that are the evil people in the world. There is a very dark side to some of these esoteric activities, that being one of them. Uh, and I would even say the animal mutilations is very esoteric because we just don't understand it. We don't know what it's all about. So to really delve into these subjects, just like the RH negative blood factor, these are things that people just don't really pay attention to. It gets very little media attention and therefore it takes people like you and I, Alex, to have this discussion and try to 
get down to the brass tacks about what's really going on with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I dude, this is the thing. This is my problem, though, Brad. When I'm freaking walking, I'm exercising, and, like, I get in these rabbit holes, and I think about, like, all the terrible social engineers, and, like, I want to blame somebody. And then at the same time, I just want to go to Olive Garden and be, like, a truck driver and just be a normal guy that doesn't even know any of this stuff's going on and just paying my bills. Uh, so it, it's it's – do you want to be asleep? I mean, it kind of sucks, like, when you get in this rabbit hole. Like, Brad, I can't tell. It's hard for me to tell a girl on a first date, you know, about satanic ritualistic abuse or mystery schools or paganism or the Nephilim in the Bible or the Book of Enoch or whatever I'm talking. You know what I mean? You know, these are things that aren't – they're not exactly panty dropper topics. Um, so it kind of, it kind of makes you kind of isolates you when you get into this rabbit hole, this conspiracy theorist mindset. Yeah. You got to save that stuff for at least the third or fourth date, Alex. Don't, don't come out of the gate shooting those guns. You got to make sure the chick's a little bit, uh, you know, up, up to par on some of these subjects, but nonetheless, th- these are serious subjects too. Yeah. We, we, we have to keep in mind that there's a reason why they're shrouded in secrecy and, and people are generally ignorant, but you know, ignorance is bliss. So yeah, a lot of people just get turned off by the whole concept because it is going to the dark side in a way. No, you, you nailed it though. I'm saying that's the stupid idea that ignorance is bliss. Like I think about that all the time. I'm not, I'm like, I feel like I'm doing a show. I want to be a comedian. I want to make people laugh because I think the world is a terrible place, but I'm also trying to shine a light that we're living under massive lies. Every single thing that they tell us, if it's not a lie, then it's the truth that they use to benefit their lie and something else. Like literally anything they give us is some sort of manufactured bias. I mean, whether it's the media, whether it's the people in charge, it, it, we're never going to get the straight dope as they say because that's just not how it works because you got to have people that have private knowledge there's a reason why we have uh top secret uh confidential levels and within our governments because not all of us can know that information so i do want to expose that. i do want to expose you know operation paperclip and i want to do you know do expose a lot of like the look at the war in iraq look at the devastation of, of america we are you know colonialists going in and just decimating countries, killing millions of Iraqis for what? For nothing. And now we're going to spend billions of dollars to build them homes here. None of it makes sense. The world is so screwed up. I don't personally think that I can fix it. So I'm just trying to, I guess, eat my bowl of popcorn and laugh while the band plays as I go down with Titanic, I guess. And I like the fact that you can make humor out of this because sometimes these dark subjects, they're, they can get you down. They can make you depressed if you let them. And if you notice, I've been smiling most of this interview. I I think you've got a great sense of humor, Alex. And I like the fact that we can make light of this. And John Lennon kind of, I'll paraphrase a quote. He said that the establishment is going to try to provoke you. If you're a truth teller, they're going to do whatever they can. They're going to poke their finger at you. They're going to tug your beard. But the one thing they can't handle is this kind of sarcasm and making fun of the system. And that is actually one very powerful weapon that we have is to inject sarcasm and humor into these dark subjects. So good on you, mate.
No, Brad, and that's what I've been doing. So I don't know if you've ever seen it. You're probably not familiar with my work, but I'll go to a lot of these, um, uh, you know, board meetings. And like I had this one that just went viral. They, you know, they played it all over. Uh, it's got millions of hits for other people. Where I went, I talked about how I have transgendered kids and how they don't represent them well enough, and how that they need to give more vaccines. As I lost my housekeeper to COVID, and so these videos, I'm saying they're going viral because when you, it's called astroturfing. If you use their own satire and sarcasm, there's no defense to that. Because these people that are ruling the world, they don't have a sense of humor. And unfortunately, that's what's happening now with all entertainment. It's called intersectionality. In order to get a TV show on NBC, on somewhere, you have to uh, fit a check. You know, you have to fit that you're either color, you're a woman. You have to uh, fit check marks in the intersectionality boxes just to get the job. So it's not a meritocracy anymore. Now it is based on race, gender, and victimhood. So now humor is dead. For lack of a better word, of course, so somebody will accidentally make a, a good movie here or there but the top movies in 1995 and 96 like Pulp Fiction Shawshank Redemption you look at those movies they're incredible some of the best movies of all time you look at the top movies of 2020 it was like Cars 2 uh, uh, Paw Patrol 3 you know God, Avengers 6 we have no culture we have no humor so this is our only weapon Brad this is a satire yeah. and sarcasm is our only weapon but they're going to outlaw that I mean it's it's literally George Orwell's 1984 so how do we how do we fight the thought police and how do we stay uh, uh, relevant in a society that wants to keep you know uh, keep our voices totally shut well until they do totally outlaw it we just keep on keeping on we just keep doing what we're doing uh fortunately we haven't had any book burnings and they haven't gotten to this one yet and they haven't shut down your channel so we're still on and we're still going and we're calling it the way it is and yeah, but I it's like it sucks, though, because we're never going to be in the majority. We're always going to be in the minority, Brad. And that's what I, I know I'm going to be niche. I know you know you're going to be niche because not everybody's going to wake up. But it's not my job. Like, I, I, I want to be an entertainer. I want to be a broadcaster. But when I walk around and I see all these people like triple mass at the store living under the constant fear. It's not my job to wake people up to say, hey, quit living in fear. You know, it, it, it's kind of sad. But I think... The ignorance is bliss. They have us in that prison planet where everybody's ignorant to what's really going on. And uh, I don't think anybody, I don't think there'll be a mass awakening. So do you think this, this with what's happening now, do you think that mass awakening will shift to the majority or will it always be a minority of people that know the truth? Well, that's what I have on the back. All that is hidden will be revealed and the truth will set you free. It really will. And that's why my book is Escaping from Prison Planet. We're in the process of getting out of here, at least knowing oh, if, if you can't even see that the jailer has you shackled, how can you possibly expect to make a break for it? You can't. So you got to know what you're into first, what the problem is. And then maybe you can fashion a key to unlock your shackles. That's the way I look at it. That, that we have the tools at our disposal, but you have to want it. People that don't want it, well, then they're just going to be living in their little bubble and, and that's their choice. You know, we have free will on this planet. So we have the ability to take the road that we want to take with our lives. And other people may make other decisions, but that's their choice. Uh, I personally want to be free. I want to grow. I want to maybe even attain enlightenment like the Buddha. I mean, I think that's really why we're all here. Uh, so few accept the challenge, but it's out there. It's like a little uh, carrot that's dangling right in front of us. You want it? We're going to have to work for it. Nothing really comes for free anymore.
Yeah, talk about more about that ascension. I mean, how do you feel that we, how do we get enlightened and how do we ascend in your opinion, Brad? Well, I, I spent a number of years in Asia, Alex. I was an English teacher in Japan for 14 months and then I self-financed my own trip around the world. I, I've been to all seven continents now and I have a worldview that's, that's pretty unique for Americans. I didn't see many other Americans out there when I was traveling. And when I was in India, I, I was pretty close to uh, Bodhanath and, and the locations of the Buddha's enlightenment and now their, their big uh, pilgrimage locations. But it just occurred to me that Buddhism is really a philosophy more than it is a religion. It became a religion after his death, but he didn't want to be worshipped. He didn't want to have statues made after him. Of course, there are, but he was just a regular man like you and me. He always said that. And he wanted to see how far he could take it. And in some ways, he took it too far. He emancipated himself. He starved himself when he was trying to uh, turn off hunger. And, and But you can't do that. That's why he talked about the middle path. Don't do anything to an extreme. Just be a human being. Like they said in, in uh, the Buddhists of today, before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. So life goes on, but what you do is you make a realization about yourself. Some of this comes into uh, the chakra systems and the kundalini experience, which Buddha had when he was sitting under the Bodhi tree, realizing that we're really humans having a spiritual experience. I love that uh, bumper sticker. We're not spirits at we're not humans having the spirit experience, we're spirits having the human experience. So when you come to that realization that there's so much to learn, but it's all know thyself, it's all inquire within, that you can start to make some really great advancements within yourself. And that's really what it's all about, Alex. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. That's it's just easier said than done. Oh, in India though, I wrote down. Uh, uh, how was the the food in India? Was it really that spicy? They say the food in <laughs> India is so, is so spicy. Was it? It was. It was. It was. So that's I'm saying that stereotype. It was spicy as shit. Excuse my language. It was that spicy in India. That's what they say. Well, you know why people eat spicy food, right? Because you don't need to eat very much. That's why they're so darn skinny. If you eat spicy food, it fills your stomach and you feel like you're full, but you can just eat a small portion of spicy food and that's all you need. But no, yeah. that's, that's what they say. It's like when you're eating eggs or the keto, put some spicy hot sauce on instead of ketchup because it kind of makes you feel more full if you eat some sort of Tabasco for some reason. Um, that That is a natural thing. And, you know, Buddha, I, I like a lot of those. Like we got to take, you know, different teachings from all these different religions and, and you know, yeah. use it to some sort of ascend because um, – there isn't one path, I believe, to righteousness or enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't know how to necessarily get there, but I think that we have to take bits and pieces of all these, I guess you'd say, mystery schools or all these, uh, you know, uh, uh, esoteric religions and mix it together. So we'll talk about this. I know this is kind of random, but how does L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology uh, being a, you know, a new, I don't know how much you've covered that, but being like a new religion, is that, the, would you consider that like the newest mystery school of our day and age, in your opinion, Brad? Well, it is a mystery school because you have to 
join Scientology to get up to the different levels that they have and attain that sort of mastery. Uh, they believe in past lives. So do I, mm-hmm. and they have ways to get in touch with that. So while I'm not one of them, I am interested in what that knowledge is that one can obtain. I just think that if it's the, the real truth, that it should be available and free to all. Yeah. And that's not the case with a lot of these uh, new, newly formed religions that they do have a, the almighty dollar in mind as well. But, and I, I've heard Scientology has some good things where, you know, it helps some people out, like, you know, like their past life regression. And I do think that, like you said, it, you know, we are having a, we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. We're not physical beings having a spiritual experience. Like you said, you know, we're, we are, there is something inside of us that, that is special. And, and I like to think like you're talking about Egypt and like, I guess whenever I think of esoteric symbolism, I always think of like the desert and like the Pharaoh and, you know, the, you know, the walking in the, you know, walking in the sand. And I guess what I'm saying is when I see that, like, I feel like I've almost been there. Like I've almost lived that life in a weird way. I know that's weird. Um, but you said the past life thing. I do almost kind of feel like I've been on this ride before. And I feel like that's why I am almost comfortable um, knowing that I'm going to get to ride it again. But where do you, where does that, like, where does that mindset uh, uh, come from for you, Brad? Well, my first trip in Europe in 1988, I was backpacking around right after I finished college. I I had my first experience in uh, Pompeii, Italy, the destroyed city that has been recovered under the ash and mud from the Mount Vesuvius explosion in 79 AD. And I'll tell you, Alex, it still gives me goosebumps when I talk about it, but I knew my way around. I knew that town of Pompeii. I knew how to get to the Coliseum. I knew where the forum was. And ever since then, I've had a very strong suspicion that we've been here before. That's what I'm saying. You felt like you knew it very well in Rome is what you're saying. Like you've been to Rome when you were there. Well, I've been to Rome, but this is Pompeii. I mean, Pompeii. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Pompeii. I don't know why I thought you said Rome. Did you say the Coliseum? I guess there's a Coliseum in Pompeii. Yeah, there's both. Yes. There are coliseums and amphitheaters in all the Roman cities. So th- there are commonalities as well as a forum, which is like our Washington, D.C. mall. They'll have all the official government buildings around a city square. So and that's where you fit in was Pompeii. You felt like you had been there before. Like you knew it like the back of your hand. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is what I hear from a lot of other travelers. And this is why people like to go on international trips, especially so we, we do reincarnate into these soul families. So it's a pretty good chance that you were a white guy and you were a male in most of your lifetimes. So was I. So you, if you went back to Don't Europe, gender label me, Brad. I'm a woman. I'm pre-transitioning woman. Don't label me as any sex. I'm a they. Uh, that's my pronoun. Go ahead, Brad. I'll allow it. For misgender, yes. I'm a they. I'm a they. My gender is non-disclosed, but go ahead. Sorry. Yes. In my past lives, I might have been a non-disclosed gender person, right? There you go. (laughs) And so if you want to get in touch with that, Uh what I would say is go to places where you've probably lived before. I know a lot of people that go to uh, Egypt. That's what I'm saying. Okay, I, I'm telling you, I have a connection. So I want to hear, I, I, I always interject. So you, you always say just keep, keep your thought. You have to keep talking over me. But I do feel some sort of connection with Egypt and the desert. So you're telling me, is that why people always feel drawn to go to that? Is that a common thing, Brad? Yeah. And I had the same kind of experiences I had in Pompeii when I was in Egypt. And here's why. 
Egypt lasted for thousands of years. So this is literally hundreds of generations of humans lived in Egypt. And so there's no wonder that when people go back there, even for the very first time, they'll too feel this familiarity with these locations. And boy, to, to look at the Great Pyramids, Alex, or Luxor, or Karnak, some of the, the, the great monuments in that country, they, again, feel very familiar. Well, the only pyramids I've seen are the one at the Luxor in Las Vegas, and I lost about $1,100, so don't remind me about the pyramids. But, you know, I just, I think it's crazy uh, that uh, we just can't recreate that stuff and, like, the connection I have to, I see stuff, you know, like, in the past. You're right. Like, I do think that I've had experiences before, and and I hate to say this, too, because I'm not clairvoyant, but, like, sometimes I can feel energy. We're electromagnetic beings. You know, I can just kind of tell. I can almost kind of think... Not with guests, it's a kind of harder in, in a digital way, but like when I'm in, when I'm with a person, I almost feel like I can read a person's body language without even talking to them. And that's kind of weird. You know what I mean? That's a, that's like some sort of uh, clairvoyant thing, maybe because it's like past experiences. I don't know. But I want to say, guys, uh, uh, the show's almost over. I put the I put the invite link. If you guys want to come ask Brad and I a question, you have about 10 minutes to do it. So, so we're going to wrap things up. But uh, I know that we covered a lot of stuff. We're not able to cover, obviously, you know, a book that took six years to write in a one hour interview. But uh, if you guys have any questions for Brad, please consider hopping on. I pinned the question right now. So Brad, you know, uh, tell us, you know, kind of what do you have going on? I know you tell us, you know, you've talked a lot about the book, but you know, kind of wrapping things up, what do these people need to know about Brad Olson before we end this interview, Brad? Okay. Well, if you want to know more about me and what I'm up to and some of the conferences I speak at, which I'll be in Las Vegas in one month at the 5D. How did I know that? How did I know? How did I? Okay, Brad, you're like, oh, I was just talking about how I'm clairvoyant. I'm just talking about how I'm clairvoyant. You're talking about the pyramids. And I knew in my head, I don't care what it is. I knew Vegas was coming. I had no idea you're speaking in that thing. And I'm talking about the Luxor in Las Vegas losing 1100 bucks. I'm just saying, I didn't, I didn't know that you were about to say in 10 seconds later that I'm speaking in Las Vegas in one. Sorry, I know that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> to me, that means something okay sorry sorry to I always cut you off go ahead so you're speaking in one month las vegas tell us more of what you got going on uh so if you want to know about my conference schedule i've got several other events uh in 2022 human origins in albuquerque in may and sedona i'm doing one around the uh spring equinox that's when i speak live and i love to meet people and sign copies of my books um, but if you want to see my books, cccpublishing.com is the website. And we've got Esoteric Series, just like a little snapshot of those uh, three books in the Esoteric Series. If people want to learn more about that, order a copy through CCC Publishing. It comes through my office. And uh, if they're my books, I'll sign copies for people. And tell us more, the public speaking, do you get nervous? Do you write a speech? What do you do? Are you using the same kind of like a comedian, the same bit? Or like what, uh, I mean, you know, do you enjoy public speaking? Do you get nervous? Tell us about your public speaking experiences. I I, I like public speaking. It's kind of like our conversation today, Alex. I just look at it as a way of conveying information to people. And people think I'm pretty good at it. And Mm -hmm. I just get up there and I talk about what I know about. Uh, so in Las Vegas, I'll be doing my hidden anomalies of Antarctica, which is everything you'd want to know about Antarctica and then some. That's my presentation. And I'm also going to moderate 
two panels. One is the Alienscape panel. We'll talk about everything ET related. Another is really interesting, the super soldier panel with people who have been involved in the secret space program and sharing their experiences and what they saw up there off planet. So I'm just the moderator. I'm like you. I, I just ask the questions. I'm just curious and I want to see what they have to say. I'm not judging either way, but I find it fascinating. Okay. We have one caller. Uh, it looks like Carmen or Carmen in Amanda. Uh, let's see if there, it takes, it takes a little while to connect, but we'll see if we can get them. Uh, let's see. We'll see if we can get Carmen. You there? Carmen. Hello. Hello. You can hear, we can hear you. Uh, you're live with Brad and Alex. Hey, y'all. What's up? Um, my, my name is Amanda. Um, I saw you like at this, like was like the coolest interview ever because not a lot of people like talk about like the Anunnaki people and stuff like that. And, and like the giants, like in the Bible. And I just think like, that's like, so like, it was so weird. Like I was raised, like, I like to think like that, like balanced view that like all religions, like have like truth in them and stuff like that. But, um, but I don't know. I would just like to know more like about like, like the Anunnaki people and like, are they, is that like, like where we all come from and like apparently they're like from Africa and stuff like that. Um, and like if they build like the, like the old like megalithic things and like how Antarctica, like um, I heard someone say today that Antarctica was like, um, is like part of like the Freemasonry like city, but then like, but then like, like, I don't know, I believe, okay, so I believe Antarctica was real. Like, I definitely believe like it existed. I don't believe like it's something made up because there's like, I personally know. He's someone. been here, Amanda. Amanda, I like you. Yeah, I, we, we need more co female callers, a, a beautiful light. And I can tell you're a very attractive woman just by the tone of your voice. Okay, but go ahead. So, so what you want, what's the question though? Do you want to ask a question about the Anunnaki or do you want to ask about Antarctica? No, I want to I wanna know how the Anunnaki is related to like, to like these megalithic things and the Anunnaki people. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Stay on so we can hear the answer. So Brad, what kind of, what, what do you, what, what, what is, what's the answer? I know you got it. Well, right. Well, <laughs> not only will I speak to the answer, but I'll show you the answer. Have you heard of these elongated skulls? Yeah. Yeah. And not in Peru, there's like a bunch yeah. of them in Peru. Yeah. You can go to museums there, Amanda, and see them on display. Yeah. If we don't like, have these vaccine passports, holy hell. Yeah, I know. Now you can't go to any museums, even though uh, just get your triple Moderna. Just get three year booster. I've been boosted six times, so I have 479 percent protection from the virus. So I'm never going to get it. 
um uh, amanda so i mean i'll be free fine yeah i get free krispy cream every day brad i i eat six krispy cream donuts because there's six different shifts so i can get six different shift managers i get six free donuts a day because of my vaccine uh password okay no go back to we we're talking about the peru the big skulls anunnaki so they were the ones being able to pick these you know huge uh, uh cinder blocks up and these huge doorways and stuff like that and these ancient structures okay so just consider with these elongated skulls they have a 30% larger cranial capacity than humans do. So literally a big, great big part of their head resists, exists back there. Now, presumably with a much bigger head and bigger skull, you have a bigger human. So here we are talking about the giants again. What were the Anunnaki and their hybrid offspring, the Nephilim? They were also giants. Look at how they're... So many giant references in the Bible and other ancient texts. We're not just talking about only the Bible. You're talking about Sumerian cuneiform texts. Uh, back in Africa, Amanda brought up that there are ancient gold mines and also artifacts found showing that there had been giants there. I have a uh, colleague named Michael Tellinger. You may have heard of him. He's very uh, famous from south africa yes I heard, I heard a tellinger i love his stuff well here he is in my book showing a footprint and there are six toes on that footprint if we can go to screen here alex yeah yeah i can see yeah it's, it's hard to tell but yeah. that that famous picture Look at uh, that kid standing yeah. next to a footprint of a giant and there's michael tellinger holding a finger bone a finger bone of a humanoid so there are massive skeletons that have been found in the world. The older they are, the uh, larger they are as well. Some of them much, much bigger than six foot three Alex here. They make him look like a shark. You remember that. Are they in the Smithsonian? Do you think the Smithsonian has them? Because that's what they say, that they have a bunch of giant skeletons, Brian. Well, they may have them, but they're not on display. There well, I know that. Yeah, yeah. In Ecuador that has a giant skeleton in the museum so down in south america they're unabashed about showing this stuff they'll have the skulls in paracas peru and in the sacred valley where i went and these elongated skulls uh, i saw one that had a head as big as his torso okay massive heads and massive skulls and massive brains so you would think the larger the being the easier it would be to move around these megalithic stones. It's like you and I lifting a cinder block, right, Alex? But if we're two or four or ten times larger than us... It's like when those Amish lift those barns. You can see that there's videos of 200 Amish guys lifting a barn across a farm. You're like, how can they do it? Because together they can have that strength. But why do they want to hide that? Why, why couldn't they tell us, hey, we used to be giants? Like, well, I'm saying, I know that's kind of a broad question. That's a very, you know, general oh, question. But so much hidden from us. I know, I'm yeah. saying, but why, in your opinion, like, why, why, like, uh, uh, why do they have to have this concrete thing? Oh, we evolved from pond scum. Why can't we have a uh, a debate? You know, why is that, Brad? Why does this stuff have to be hidden? In your opinion, does it make us? Does it give us freedom by knowing this stuff? Is that why? Well, I was looking into this when I came out with my book, Sacred Places North America, about 20 years ago, traveling across country and then finding so much of this history has been hidden from us. And it really provoked the thought, why are they doing this? Why aren't we given the correct account of our history? But 
if you think about giants and they found them in the earthen mounds uh, in the Midwest where I came from in Illinois, um, you think about these massive skeletons did not fit into the cookie cutter version of history that they were projecting on us. So it was much easier just to swipe it away, get it out of here. And there's what is called Smithsonian gate. And that is the Smithsonian coming in and they're kind of like the FBI will take over here. And I, I do have an account in beyond esoteric about a very famous dig on uh, Lake Delavan in Southern Wisconsin, pretty close to where I grew up. And I just went and visited the site where they found these big mounds with giants in them. And so scholars from Beloit College, professors were digging up these bones and it made the newspaper and it got picked up in other newspapers. Smithsonian came in there and said, we're taking over the dig. They took all the bones, all the artifacts, and then when the professors went back and said, hey, what happened to all of it? What's the findings? So we don't know what you're talking about. We don't have any giant bones. And then swipe it away. That, that's kind of how it got done. Wow. So now there's just such a preponderance of evidence and new giants being found all the time, most especially down in South America. Uh, my colleague, Brian Forrester, has been privy to some of these finds and he has also done DNA tests. And get this, you guys will find this interesting. The DNA test results show a human mother and a foreign unknown father. So just the, like, what, so the DNA, they can't tell it's just an unknown is what comes up for the father? It's just an unknown. That's where you get these anomalies like the giant elongated skulls, the huge bodies. Sometimes an extra digit on the finger, six fingers, six toes, a double row of teeth on some of the really old ones. Uh, they're human-like, but they're not human. And just like the skull themselves, when you examine it a little more thoroughly, the eye sockets are 30% larger. There's no central suture. You know, the crack in our skull, that these elongated skulls don't have that. They're different, okay? And you cannot wrap a skull and put a board on it and do all these cranial deformations and create the net result of a 30% larger skull. You can take what you got and reshape it, but you cannot expand the size. That's impossible. So yeah. these are different. They're I agree. Different. That's weird how they tell us like with wood, they're able to reshape a head. I don't believe that, but uh, you can, but you can't gain 30% cranial capacity. Well, hey, hey to speaking of the DNA thing, I was actually on the Maury Povich show for a paternity test, and they said the same thing about my DNA. I came back as a non-human as well. So I think that's still, that's actually impossible. That's actually a thing that happens more often than not. Okay, uh, Amanda, thank you so much. Uh, you know, now your webcam's working, so say, say, what's your last question? Because I want everybody to see you, Amanda. I don't know if Brad was able to see you, but now I'm just able to see you. So uh, what's the last thing you got for uh, Brad and I? And thank you so much for calling. I really appreciate uh, having Having such a lovely lady like yourself, Amanda, call in. Uh, I, I, I'm telling you, Thanks. we need we need more. Uh, what do they call them? Uh, awake babes in the world like yourself. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> but uh, I do. my last question is um, <laughs> my last question is uh, so um, like there were like a bunch of those. Um, like fairs 
in like the mid late 1800s they were like those huge fairs that and they were like so ornate and Tartaria like, basically is what you're talking about and they were like all over they were like yeah. all over and like in every like single state and like um like the buildings were much more like ornate and stuff like that and and um i you know it's like it's like why would they tear that down why would they build all these huge museums and and structures and such beautiful like architecture and then why would they just tear them down in like two years uh and so that's like a conspiracy theory that is just pisses me off you know <laughs> yeah i agree so what is that so what do you think about you know in the early 1900s they had all these ornate buildings and now you look at a building you know it's like for mica wood you look into a post office that's all you gotta see a post office the interior of a post office all the wood is crap it's nothing's built to last yet in like 1890 they were able to build with no power tools these ornate buildings how did all that happen in your opinion brad well, they didn't all get torn down. For example, in Chicago, where I grew up as a kid, we would love to go to the Museum of Science and Industry. And that was part of the World's Fair, these big events that would go around city to city. Also in San Francisco, you have the Palace of Fine Arts, and there's a great big dome and a lake that's there. That is a remnant. So some of them did survive why they tore down everything else. Well, a lot of times they were actually built to be temporary, that they were built just to be very impressive. Tesla, Nikola Tesla actually demonstrated AC current at one of the world fairs. So they were a way to demonstrate new technology, perhaps to emphasize new building structures and so forth. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of a shame that the majority of them got torn down. Some of them have been preserved. Some Apparently, like they were, they also are. had their own uh, system of electricity. Yeah, free electricity. Stuff. Yeah. Right. So, so do you not? Do you, so do you not think that they were like some sort of building that they were trying to hide? Uh, you, you think it wasn't something sinister behind uh, a hidden history type deal? In your opinion, Brad? Yeah, I know about Tartaria, and there, there's some. Some something to be explored in that. I, I don't think it's quite the erased history that it's been made out to be. Some of these things kind of can be explained logically that these world fairs were just they would come into town almost like uh, the way the traveling circuses. They'd set up a big tent and there would be auxiliary uh, shows and games going on. And then when the circus was done, they would just pack up and leave. It's similar to the way these world fairs were working as well. Um, this is in the age before television or even movies. So if you wanted to see something interesting and learn and come in to a big city like Chicago for the World's Fair in 1893, I think it was, then you would go to what is now the Museum of Science and Industry. And it still has the statues in front of the Greek goddesses and stuff. So you'll, you'll see some throwbacks to it. Brad, they had, legal, was... they had legal heroin and legal prostitution in 1890. I think they had plenty of stuff to do to keep themselves entertained, I believe. Yeah, well, now we got uh, 
better drugs and pornography. Do so we have better drugs? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's terrible. Fentanyl, these kids are all high on smack and oh, that's ecstasy. So that's that's what I'm all saying. terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. I don't think we have. I think marijuana still has benefits to it. That's the reason why they keep it a schedule one drug. But like, I'm just telling you, drugs these days, the kids on the fentanyl, the opioid crisis. And I've taken, I've taken downers. I, luckily, they kind of make me sick. I don't understand why everybody wants to be on fentanyl and be addicted to opioids. Like, I just don't. I get Xanax because people have anxiety. I can get why that's so addicting. But for me, the 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 opioid addiction, I, I don't know why that's so powerful and ruining our country so much. Uh, um, but with that, with that negative vibration, low vibrational energy statement, we're going to say goodbye, Amanda. Thank you so much for calling. Cheers. Oh, I love it, Amanda. Cheers, red wine with a glass of wine <laughs> with Alex Stein. All right, Amanda, you have a Bye -bye. lovely evening. Thank you. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Call again, please. I want to, don't be a stranger. Okay. Um, so, is that a Pinot Noir? Uh, this is like a red mix with, um, it's it like from, called, it from... our day, it's called Our Daily Red. And it's like all like organic. It's just cause like, our daily it, red. Is it a Christian it's wine like, company? Is it a Christian it's wine? Like totally organic, no sulfates. I I think I don't really know. I haven't looked into it. Maybe I should have. My bad. For you that. know how wine is good for you because it's in the Bible a bunch. So that's how you know you got to drink it, right? I don't know about that. Just a little bit. So. Just, you know, just a little bit, just a little bit, nothing too much. The blood of Christ. Uh, the blood of Christ. Party on. We got to party on. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye, Amanda. Thank See you. Ya. Like I said, don't be a stranger. Thank you, Alex. Okay. All right, Brad. Well, we covered a lot. We talked about a lot. We talked about your speaking engagements. Amanda came on. That was a great way to end the episode. I love when we have callers. Um, and uh, I guess just end this by telling them where can they find you. And the link to your book is in the description, guys. So if you guys want to purchase that book, you know, you're going to be able to see it right under the, the show. That's the top thing. It says Brad's book. And the, that link will take you straight to it. So, uh, you know, what do you want to leave them with, uh, Mr. Olson? Yeah, so if you want to know more about me and the projects I work on and different things, uh, bradolson.com, just spelled on the screen there. Or uh, to find this book and others, cccpublishing.com. And those books all go through my office. So happy to sign copies for them as they go out the door. And what's Thank the, you for having me on, Alex. This has been an enlightening 90 minutes. I, I'm happy I'm happy you had fun with it. Okay, and what's the last recommendation you tell for somebody that's kind of asleep to get out of the prison planet we live in? Like, what's the uh, kind of the baby? I'm, they call me a baby truther sometimes because you would be considered a baby truther, Brad, because you think some stuff's real. There's some people that are like the auto hoaxer where they think, you know, everything is some sort of manipulated, uh, you know, game and lies. Uh, you and I would be considered... Uh, baby truther, but we're still awake, you know, can consider to the normal person. We're way more away. I mean, we're a million times more awake. Uh, but I'm saying, how does a normal layman become in that? How do they open the door to that enlightenment enlightenment in your opinion? There are two words on the ancient temple of Apollo at Delphi, which was the destination for countless pilgrims for thousands of years, including Alexander the Great and many others. And those two words are know thyself. It's really an interpersonal journey. The more you know about yourself, the more 
You'll know about the world around you and it will help you in so many different ways because you'll be a more balanced, more uh, calm and collective and even funny person like you, Alex. You've got a great sense of humor and I, I really enjoyed connecting with you tonight. Thank you again for having me on. Wow, that makes me feel good. And I was just watching a video about introspection and how important that is and how that's not selfish, guys. You know, like looking, knowing thyself, being thyself and having self-love, like not hating yourself is the only way you can really love other people. So, wow, Brad, that is so true. That introspection, know thyself. That's how we're going to end the interview, guys. The link is in the description. Everybody go out. Somebody buy a book. Somebody go support Brad and show him, uh, you know, tell him the Conspiracy Castle uh, sent, to, sent you because we want to connect with you, Brad. We'll talk again uh, anytime you want to come on the castle.